0: What was made public about the Event Horizon that she was a deep space research vessel, that her reactor went critical, and that the ship blew up? None of that is true. The Event Horizon was the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster than light flight.
1: Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast.
0: The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away.
1: The following Review will contain spoilers, and may contain strong language.
0: Where's she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. Today, as a listener request, we'll be discussing Event
1: Horizon. Starring Sam Neill. did
0: come out all this way just to sit on your bridge. I need to be on that ship. Lawrence Fishburne. Captain, there's no danger. The gateway's contained behind three magnetic fields. It's perfectly safe. Safe! Doctor, my ship is in pieces and one of my crewmen may not make it home alive. Kathleen Quinlan. What? Yes, if you don't mind my saying um, it sounds a little like a shock. Could it be that you're traumatized by seeing the body Excuse me, no. Jolie Richardson. I'm saying that this ship is reacting
2: to us and the reactions are getting stronger. As if the ship brought back something with it, a life force of some kind.
1: What are you telling me, that this ship is alive? Jason Isaacs.
0: If what Dr. Wade tells us is true. This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Of known scientific reality. Who knows where it's been, what it's seen, and what it's brought back with it.
1: And Sean hurt, we.
0: No, I haven't seen anything, and I don't need to say anything, sir, but I can tell you. This ship is fucked. Directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. What happened to your eyes? Where are we going? We
1: will need eyes to see. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. First up is Gally, whose signature dish is a pan-fried sea bass on a bed of creamed cabbage and bacon. With a garnish of parsnip puree, of potatoes, baby carrots and baby turnips. And a white wine reduction. It's Gally in Glasgow. <laughs> Very good.
2: Fuck this ship it's devlin in london mr cooper you are the lifesaver it's matt in south korea
1: oh welcome back gang and welcome back listeners you will notice one that it was a dreadful sean poetry impression there from me that's not you know what, it's not bad it's not bad he's got a very very silky tone which is very difficult to to, to sort of replicate um uh, but you'll also notice listeners that uh that patrick is not with us he's doing a uh, a non-profit production, which sounds like a, a kind of roundabout way of saying he's working for free. So Patrick is not joining us. So what we thought is it's been three years and we've not done a single listener request. Hmm. So here we are. We're changing that. Thank you, Thomas Badori Came through via our Gmail. Said he wanted us to discuss Event Horizon. So here we are, team. So I guess I will open it up to the floor. First experiences with event horizon devlin i'll start with you okay so i've i've seen it
3: i'm sure of that <laughs> but um the, my my uh my first memory of this film is that um i used to go to my friend uh, adam wilkinson's house because out of all of my friendship group in secondary school he was the only one who had a functioning pc so we used to go to his house because he had the best computer and he used to make these like weird little flash animations like made out that based on stupid in jokes and uh one of them he was like he said, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to say, uh, what happened on the event horizon? And then we're all just going to scream horribly. And he's going to put it through some like rudimentary late 90 filters of some sort. And I remember going along with it and then thinking, I don't know how to tell them that I've not seen this and I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> 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 so, um So I remember that at that point I hadn't seen it and I've seen it since then, probably on TV. I was not super familiar with it, although I mean familiar massively with it in general eyes ripped out all that kind of stuff sam Neil goes crazy in space lawrence fishburn but in terms of the actual film itself it was not uh one that i watched a lot of as a teenager and uh, uh, uh I'll, I'll keep my sandwiches and my special space lunchbox for now but just to say that i perhaps didn't uh, um develop a great deal of attachment to this one even though as a concept, I was very familiar with it. And I was really interested when we got this listener request through, to be fair. Uh, I guess for, for the reason that it was probably one that I needed to catch up on. And also that it does introduce us to the work of Paul W. S. Anderson for the second time, because we did discuss, uh, Mortal Kombat a couple of, probably. Two years ago now, so it's it's a it's a good segue to get us towards um uh, the inevitable Alien versus Predator rewatch that we'll be doing soon. So it was nice to uh to catch up on Paul WS, but um yeah, how about you, Matt? Uh Well,
2: very similar to you actually. Uh, I'd either never seen it fully, or seen it on a sick day, meaning like unless I was skiving, I was not a hundred percent in terms of taking it in. Uh, I I more than likely saw it around '98 when it was released on video as a rental. Uh, but my friends, again, I had friends that liked this film and had seen it many times and I'd never seen it. Um, my friends Rob and Phil at school would quote it often. And Rob, uh, who often listens to the show, um, wrote, Mr. Cooper, you are the lifesaver and the heartbreaker on my school shirt on the last day of term you know, when you sign each other's shirts. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you ever did that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I never understood, but I went along with it as if I did. Uh, so uh, if Rob's listening, Ptang Yang Kippabang, Vicky Dalentine, watch out for Euro Wasps and Vigo Burton, uh, and he'll know what all of that means. So shout out to Rob <laughs> Hawthorne. Um, we used to pass film quotes under the door to each other. So um, we have a a, a history of, of loving film. Um, so yeah, we... I, I was never a, as big a fan as my friends were, but on that original viewing, I think I found it quite underwhelming, uh, and forgettable because I never really returned to it and I forgot most of it. But as you say, like Sam Neill with no eyes, scary imagery, uh, it was, some of that was lodged somewhere. And again, the, the W.S. Anderson of it all kind of pushed it to the back of my mind. Uh, some of his sins as far as the, the, his filmography I think has, has has nudged it aside for me so I never returned to it and I didn't really feel as if I needed to uh I just remember hearing people say it's a culty bloody underrated space set horror with with many fans so i I went in open-minded again like hoping to discover something dark and freaky but uh, i'll I'll keep my Tupperware box sealed, but I'm I'm eager to discuss this one. So uh Galley, how about you?
1: Listeners might be surprised to hear that I used to be a bit of a bit of a skater boy. Uh dye my hair, bleach uh Bleach Blonde, um, Eminem style, uh, had one of those horrible choker things that Devlin was mentioning that I was ripping him for in Empire Records. I also had one. I was just, I was just secretly, uh, making sure you that just, I was the You just didn't want to, to admit you. it on an episode where <laughs> Patrick
3: was on, so you knew he was going to rip you for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Of course, of course. You know me too well. Um, and there was a, a chappy I used to skateboard with in, uh, in Stoke called Fabio. I think he was a Italian. At the time, obviously you don't, you know, these are people that you, you meet at the skate park and then we became friends, but he was the older, cooler kid. And he introduced me to this one when I stayed over. And I remember thinking that was, that was something. I was like, that was pretty amazing. But like you, Matt, I never, I never returned to it. And then I think the, the film snob in me as you go through university, and then Devlin will remember the first time that I saw alien versus Predator at the cinema um so all these things meant that paul w. s Anderson was not somebody that I was ever gonna kind of give really any any of my time to so I'm gonna say thank you tom badori for 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 the request because I don't think I would ever have watched Event Horizon again, and a bit like you, I'd completely forgotten about most of it but i the I do remember sam Neil um breathing in. That was something that I always remember yeah. from first. Oh, that adventures. reminded me of
2: when I have to walk around in just a towel and you have to suck yeah. your thumb in, you know, it, would, it reminded me of that. This is his big pants walkabout when he gets flushed <laughs> from the cheek. <laughs> it's the Hasselhoff uh, squeeze, isn't it?
1: I'm looking forward to, uh, to kind of getting into it, but I suppose before we do, before we talk about Paul W. S. Anderson, before we talk about Event Horizon, we don't have story time with Patrick. Um, but what we do have is Jack and Ori with Matt. So Matt, can you, Give us and the listeners a plot summary of Event Horizon.
2: Well, these are big shoes to fill. Shout out to Patrick. I'll, I'll do my best. The gothic orgies with Matt today was the,
1: uh, (laughs) the theme. That was the, yeah, that was the alternative, but I I figured, you know, keep it clean for the kids. In
2: 2040, deep space research vessel, the Event Horizon is launched to explore the boundaries of our solar system, but disappears without trace beyond the eighth planet Neptune. It is the worst space disaster on record. Now in 2047, the Event Horizon's creator, Dr. William Weir, boards the USAC Search and Rescue vessel Lewis and Clark for its top-secret mission to investigate his ship's vanishing after receiving a cryptic distress signal. He joins skipper Captain Miller, medical tech and absent mother Peters, the ship's edgy, surgery-fearing doctor DJ, Rescue Technician Cooper, Pilot Smitty, Lieutenant Stark, and the youthful Chief Engineer Justin, a.k.a. Baby Bear. Miller's crew explore the seemingly abandoned craft, where a curious Justin is sucked into the gravity drive, causing a pressure emergency. The hull is breached and damaged beyond repair. The desperate crew have no option but to board the event horizon. Weir explains the Event Horizon's gateway when opened creates an artificial black hole allowing the craft to bend space-time, theoretically taking Justin wherever the doomed ship had previously travelled. Baby Bear is left catatonic and unresponsive. The ship's video log reveals the Event Horizon's crew activating the proximity drive and suffering the intolerable visions of hell that followed as they mutilate and murder each other during a ritualistic space orgy. The event horizon persists in tormenting the current crew with harrowing hallucinations of personal guilt, driving them all to despair. Driven mad by his hellscape manifestations just in attempts to commit decompression suicide by turning himself inside out in an airlock, but is space-hugged and saved by Miller, who is now afflicted with a fiery visual echo of the burning bosun crew member from his past that he couldn't save. The team prepare their getaway, with Miller planning to vaporise the event horizon. Weir declares he is home and remains aboard his creation. But tortured by the sight of his wife, he once neglected, ultimately leading to her bathtub suicide, the grief-stricken Weir tears out his own eyeballs and succumbs fully to the power of the ghost vessel. He sabotages the Lewis and Clark with explosives and disembowels Dr. DJ. But when attempting to open the portal again, he's sucked out into space. Stark and Miller shut down the gravity drive, but the event horizon allows Weir to return as a nude, rune-covered, demonic incarnation of himself. Miller sacrificially detonates the ship, destroying the evil Weir and himself in the process. And after reeling from their vivid stasis nightmares, the incapacitated baby bear, Cooper and Stark, are saved.
1: Wow. Wow. Very nice. That was, that was good, Matt. I think Patrick would be very, very proud of you. And I guess the first question I have is after me and Devlin discussed the, the mayor of Mortal Kombat, what a strange pivot, right? Counter programming from a filmmaker to go from kid-friendly gaming IP to gothic yeah. sex horror.
2: I saw it had something to do with the rating. It was a PG-13, uh, Mortal Kombat and he wanted to do something edgier and more extreme uh and rated r so uh this was appealing i also heard that uh he was prepping soldier but kurt russell needed time to get in shape so the entire year that he took off soldier basically he made this movie within that space of time
1: that is a very very key bit of information because what i will say is first impressions count right in movies mm. i can't imagine now. If this were to be released, that you could get away with a title sequence so oh my
2: gosh, smoky. right? We've all been at film school, and the credits. Uh, I actually made a real effort to schedule in credit time because I. It's like framing a picture, isn't it? If you put shit credits around something, it just looks like you don't care about it. So, but what would typically happen is students would put all of their credits on in the last 10 minutes of using the edit suite and that's what look, yeah. it looks like that's happened here things are probably spelt wrong and they're weird sizes and the font is dreadful uh yeah it's a dead giveaway he ran out of time it's uh it's really
3: poor and i mean i understand that that paul W. henderson loves his um acid house i guess i don't know what the the specific subgenre is that it's orbital right it's orbital
2: uh, and then prodigy <laughs> over the end credits
3: yes uh the funky shit um so the um the orbital track really this is not setting me up for haunted house in space like it's too heavy the there's a um is there a whooshing sound effect with every single <laughs> credit or did i just make that up in my head there's well, definitely Superman does it end.
2: so you
3: know, why, why not? like but uh, uh <laughs> um, but really cheaply like yeah. this is not the first time uh certainly not the last time that i will be calling out one of the worst sound mixes i can remember hearing in a mm. in a big film which is yeah just a death knell for uh, f- for a horror film like in particular this. yeah there, there's some uh the rush job is evident throughout probably in in the, the like you say the title sequence i can forgive uh uh visually like some of the visual effects being a little ropey, but the sound design, uh, this is the first instance of a a not great sound design. Although I will say that Michael Kamen's little piece of uh, more traditional creepy space score that comes in over the text crawl, the 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 expository text crawl. I actually like that. I thought yep. they they settle in quite quickly for the first act.
1: It's not normally our thing to go straight for music, but it's 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 unavoidable because I was I was very, very thrown by the fact that Michael Kamen clearly had a score that I felt was working. Okay. It is far more traditional. Could I hum it? No. But is it, is it a place setter and is it set in a tone and a mood? Yes. But the orbital stuff is just like, well, I don't know, maybe I need to get my glow stick out. It's very strange. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that The way, the way they did it, because uh, apparently Michael Kamen just said to all of the uh, orchestra, Okay, science fiction horror, let's just improvise, which is a dreadful piece of direction. I mean, you're, you're yeah. only ever going to get things that already exist and just cliches of what people imagine that to be. And then the, the orb, the two orbital chaps sampled what was recorded that day and kind of worked from that. I agree with you, Devin. I like the Cayman stuff more on its own. And again, if you're going to rip off Alien, there's nothing at the beginning there. It's, it's silent at
1: the beginning, isn't it? And you get a little. You get a few little bits and bobs over the, uh, the text. But let's talk about Paul W.S. Anderson because as I say, it's counter programming. He does Mortal Kombat. It makes all the money in the world. And then this is one of those things that they talk about, right? That they say that happens in Hollywood or used to happen in Hollywood. You get a, you know, quote unquote, a blank check. You can make whatever you want to make. But the idea of doing a, a haunted house in space, fantastic. Mm. Like I, I am, I'm a big fan of the premise. Because I think that it's fertile ground for a good spooky horror movie. And the other thing that I, I really quite liked about the movie, uh, straight up was I liked the fact that the design was completely out there. Like I couldn't remember a, a science fiction film with this look, yeah. which is a, which is a compliment. You know, obviously I can see where the influences are coming from, but just the gothic design of the ship of the interior like it doesn't look like it's scientific but it's not meant to it's meant what? to it's meant to be gothic in space.
2: it was based on a uh, the design of a cathedral i saw it was um, uh notre dame yeah notre dame he said that they scanned they
3: scanned notre dame and they 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 pulled bits of it apart right there was that that's the right
2: and the, and uh, used it for the basis for the for the yeah. spacecraft there's another thing i looked into he cited witkin uh, for his photographs uh Bosch and Bruegel for their paintings and I googled them all and make sure you clear your history after you search uh, them I've, don't I've, do I've it seen, at work
3: I've seen quite a few Bosch and Bruegels in my time and uh, yes this is yeah he's he's he was very lofty he, he's a uh, Matt you shared with us the uh making of documentary which is very good, good isn't it
2: feature length like,
3: a uh, uh, really, really in-depth. One of those ones where, you know, it's clearly uh, a few years after the fact, so everyone's got a sense of distance that they can talk about the film in quite, um, uh, uh, that they're, they're all very affectionate towards it, but they're also very open about the issues that they faced and how that ends up affecting the final film. They seem quite sanguine about the fact that it probably didn't come out exactly how mm-hmm. they were intending it, but, um, there's, there's a sense that of his, He talks a very, very good game, Paul W. Henderson. He's a very erudite man, and and clearly a very seems to be a very like good guy. So I can see that he would pitch very well. And so Mm. yeah, it's all yeah. We've scanned Notre Dame Cathedral. I'm talking about Bruegel. but at no point does he say, uh, "Yeah, uh, we just ripped off Hellraiser (laughs) and shoved it into Alien." Right. (laughs)
1: That that yeah, that is the bit, isn't it? I guess it comes down to younger eyes, maybe when you're watching this. Uh, like I did when I was uh, an early tween would have been like, shit, I have never seen anything like this before, mm. ever. Cause I haven't seen Hellraiser at that point and I've not yeah. seen, you know, I, I haven't seen The Shining. I haven't seen, um, Solaris, you know, I, I, so all of these films that they're clearly pulling from, I had actually seen Alien, but I, in a way that was a good thing because this is like, okay, here's a premise and a setup. And I've talked about it before, spamming a can. Characters out of their depth on a mission, mission goes wrong. There, that is my lane for, for mm-hmm. any kind of story. So this is great for me. I was like, yep. And what I love about this film as well is because I'm younger gets to it straight away. Like we are not going to spend 30 minutes discussing about, um, you know, bonus situation. We're just going to get straight yeah. to the facts <laughs> that we need to get to the event horizon and, yeah. uh, and, and it does it. Uh, I know, I know that that wasn't actually the intent of, the. Um, of Paul W. Sanderson, but certainly in the edit, in the theatrical release, when I saw it in ninety eight, ninety nine, you know, this is it. It's like a 90 minute spook fest. That's well, what it's posing to be.
2: They, they said his motto was more is more, not less is more, more is more. Uh, and that kind of shows at times. Um, it, it's, I, we talked a little bit, uh, like teasing the, the AVP stuff that we're going to do And he also had a great pitch for that on the mate there's a four hour making off for that one and he's, as you said, very articulate and you, you believe every word. And if you hadn't seen the film, I'd believe it would be good. Uh, so, you know, and, but also I think we're, we're a bit too down on him and, and as film fans, not just us, but everyone, uh, you know, he married Mia Jovovich, he, he made an alien sequel, it, you know, He's done all
3: right. He has his own franchise, right? Like he has a pet franchise, which he can just keep churning out every few years if he feels like it.
1: Matt, it's, it's, it's very interesting that you say that because I think if anyone says Paul W.S. Anderson, sometimes they, they put worthless shit Anderson to differentiate from PTA. <laughs> I don't use that term, but I've seen that being thrown about, but it's interesting because he's a British filmmaker and I don't know. Where he lives in the lexicon of British filmmakers, because actually I looked at his accumulative box office and if you were just to look at it from box office alone, he is incredibly successful. He's not only just living his best life because he's made Hollywood movies for the last three decades. He's, um, you know, got a loving, beautiful wife and, and family seems like a altogether lovely chap. So he is clearly doing something right, but where does he actually live? Cause. This film feels like the only time that I think he's ever done something where he's ever done this film. He's ever done this type of film. Not just that it's a gothic sci-fi horror, but Mm. that it's actually embedded with some some genuinely complicated and dark themes to explore. Because every other film that I've ever seen of his feels super shallow, surface level, design-led... And, it, it, you know, you can watch it, you can absorb it, but there is no nutritional value.
2: As much as I like him, he, he does fall below the Ridley Scotts and the James Camerons, obviously, as most directors do. He he feels like an aspirational director, but he also feels like he's not too far away from where I would be if I had a, had a crack at it. Like, Gally and me talked just before the recording about, like... It, wanting to be a James Cameron. And if you got actually thrust into that position, could you actually cut the mustard and how many of us could, I mean, you never know, but he's a, he's a special director and Ridley Scott too. They're, they're incredible artists and how many average Joes can, can, can crack that level of of serious filmmaking, I, I always feel like he's an aspirational filmmaker, but he's like a good Matthew Vaughn.
1: I was gonna, I was gonna ask you guys where you thought he sat because is he a Jeff Murphy? You know, like we were champion Jeff, but he's uh, someone who doesn't necessarily have I, like a, or is he lower? Is he lower on the? On I don't the, think on Jeff
2: the, Murphy I, aspired to to, to yeah. greatness, <laughs> you know, but uh, he was, but he was great in in my eyes.
1: What about what about my hero Rennie? Is he better? Is because I would say that Rennie Harlan is a better filmmaker than Paul W S Anderson. I
3: think so. There's there's a a certain sloppiness that comes out in in virtually all of Paul W S Anderson's stuff, and I, you can excuse it here because it's only his third feature. He's probably barely thirty years old when he made this. Um Mortal Kombat is extremely choppy and and a real mess because it's that's its purpose, right? It's a hyperventilating kid bashing the buttons in an arcade game so that's Mm. fine um this one like you said he was trying to make something there's clearly a real thought that he could he was talking about uh robert wise there's the the haunting as you mentioned although robert wise did not have a techno fixation Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's stuff like that where there's there's we'll talk about individual moments but as an overall thing it's like i i don't think it's a guy who can get out of his own way or perhaps he's he's got a very commercial sensibility that's one thing that he always said he's like when i was coming up he's like i wasn't interested in british films i watched some euro films although he never mentions any specifically but he says i loved hollywood films so like you say he probably was uh uh, raised on the the kind of the great action adventure directors of the 80s and thought that's what i want to do but He doesn't have fundamental storytelling chops. I don't think, I think one thing I noticed
2: was staging and blocking. Um, Mm -hmm. like we looked at alien and aliens in our LVR MP series, but this one felt like actors on a soundstage because that's kind of what it is. Like there's a green screen at work, early green screen outside of the windows. It felt a bit lazy at times. The coverage was a bit boring. Um, so I mean and there's other things as far as the shining being an influence I, I think you mentioned Robert Wise as the haunting there I think the three he gave away as influences were 2001 the shining and the haunting so th- this is anything but kubrickian it's too rushed for one yeah. to, to to be like that but there's it's like kubrick light if you see the the way he attempts the symmetry and uh there's some zero gravity stuff that he wanted to do that didn't quite work out. But it, it feels aspirational again. I keep coming back to that as
1: a as a description. Mm. Well, the one I had, Matt, was um there's a there's a moment with Stark later on in the film, mm. clearly a nod to the shining with the blood coming out of the uh right. out of the lift.
2: Oh, he's ripping off two things simultaneously there, because there's a deleted there's a deleted bit where Sam Neil comes down like a spider. And <laughs> uh, he said uh, this deleted scene was influenced by the exorcist's deleted scene where she comes down the stairs like a spider. So even his deleted scenes are ripped off things. So I.
1: And, and, and here's where my issue with that is I ordinarily, so someone like Quentin Tarantino, who doesn't always get a pass from me because I get equally as irritated when I see it from, from someone like him. If you're going to reference something so nakedly. It needs to have a purpose within the story that you're telling. If it's just a pull, then it's just arbitrary. And and unfortunately, that that one bit it feels like. Well, ah, uh, we've not really had Jolie Richardson do anything. So mm, yeah. let's let's do the blood. But what does that tell us about this? Whatever it is, nothing. Is it a sentient being? Is it hell? Is it the devil? We don't know.
2: It's a strong image, but there's nothing underpinning
1: it. It's the strong imagery doesn't inform anything about the monster, the story, the characters. It is simply there to be like, that look cool. And unfortunately that is, that is his, his history in movie making is that the too many times whenever I've watched any of his movies, I, not that I've got like a back catalogue, but I've just seen all the films that he's seen because they're all mm. the ones that are like, in the top 100 bfi list of movies so that's where that's where he falls foul i think
2: the other problem is that you're stepping into an arena of sci-fi horror where there are these we've mentioned cameron and scott and alien and aliens and you'd better bring your a-game otherwise it's it's going to be inferior before you've even begun And, and opening with credits like that is uh you know cardinal yeah. sin isn't it you've already failed in the first couple of minutes of, of your movie but uh, galley you mentioned that like how quickly he gets to it um i
3: thought an interesting choice to go straight to the event horizon straight after the credits to see the ship the titular ship. great shot of that ship very I nice thought. very nice and it, it's i i actually thought this was a, a a two a two watch film for me and i will say that the first one really didn't click the second one i gave it a lot more leeway and i thought as an opening that's quite nice
1: intrigue immediately isn't it like You've not seen that in space before. What is that, dude?
3: That's interesting. You've got Sam Neill's wake-up scene, which, um, although it is... uh, Aliens? uh, Ruined (laughs) by... (laughs) Just
1: just needed a cat and a a cigarette, didn't he? Yeah.
3: It's also ruined by two massively noisy, unnecessary jump scares. And also... (laughs) a man with so many photographs of his wife i mean i get that he mm. is grieving but jesus christ he picks one off the wall says her <laughs> name and then places it on his other <laughs> wall entirely composed of photographs of his wife
1: devlin when when i was watching that scene for the first time i was like that i would have definitely done that at film school it's oh, yeah. so it's such shorthand god bless sam Neil. he does a He does the best he can. But you imagine giving that scene to an amateur actor and putting him in a student film. That scene would be such a groaner. Like, just the way he's like, (laughs) Claire. So so you are in fear that you do this every morning. This is unreal. (laughs) I've not listened
3: to the audio commentary, but um, I can just imagine him actually talking over that scene going what we wanted here was to establish that he actually misses his wife <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> there is one interesting bit of trivia there um terry rawlings uh of alien editor fame came in and edited for a couple of weeks because they just wanted some advice on on uh, how to put it together and one mm. of those uh, moments that you found obnoxiously loud devlin was uh It's actually quite a a nice cut. Um, He's shaving with a a razor and the, the movement of the razor going down. Terry Rawlings thought it'd be good to cut directly to the blinds crashing down from there and Mm. they described it as the first big jump scare of the movie it is a bit obnoxious and a bit cheap but um it was a Terry Rawlings
1: I didn't mind it Matt it it was a button to the scene Mm. it's also there's a nice well and and it's it's a nice you know we I've seen the film so I know what's happened to his wife but there's a nice moment where Sam Neill looks at the knife and the knife's hanging over his neck and you Mm. as long as you've got a grasp of visual grammar you, you immediately know what happened to her and what he's, and what state of mind he is in. So it's like, yeah. okay, fine. Not a problem. Just could have done without the picture being picked up off the blue tacked wall <laughs> and then put on the side. But it, it's fine. It's, it, they're the little things that we can now laugh at. But you know, if you're, if you're after shorthand, that's it, right? That is Hollywood shorthand And mm-hmm. its, not its finest, but it's, it's tick VG. It's
3: rudimentary. Which- <laughs> yeah, it's-
1: it's pretty basic. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But it's fine. And then we, and then we get straight onto the Lewis and Clark, which uh, we hear about as a off screen, uh, voiceover lady saying, report to the Lewis and Clark. And then bang, there he is. And we also know that this is the crew of the Lewis and Clark that we will be spending the film with.
2: There's a deleted scene there where he's called to action, uh, a couple of, like a guy and a girl in a, a boardroom and they're discussing and, and he says, I need to, to be on this mission. I need to get out there. But they, they kind of bypass a lot of that and, as you say, like it was, there was more shot, but they just cut directly to it. They don't mess about.
1: We've talked about introducing characters and how important it is. And, um, Lawrence Fishburne, Academy Award nominated in as Ike Turner and what love's got to do with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, played Othello year before he's with Stephen Baldwin in Fled. I remember that one. Um, that, <laughs> any any yeah. that, that silly chair is, is, <laughs> is, and this is, this is what, this is where there's a, I have a real conflict with Event Horizon because, and I actually wrote down, and I'm going to go through all of them because Lawrence Fishman's introduction is not the only one, but here is the great dilemma with Event Horizon. In conception, I imagine all of it works. In the shooting and the editing, it, it it comes off really goofy. There's a problem when I have a wry smile throughout this horror film. So <laughs> I, so that's one of them. When he turns around on his little chair that reminded me <laughs> of um, of the main dude in Team America flailing around, I, up and down.
3: On my, on my notes, I literally wrote the exact same thing. His stupid little chair, like the Team
2: <laughs> America yeah. guy. Uh, Thunderbirds are go, who was my... Well, the the problem is
1: the chair's too small, his knees are too high.
2: (laughs) His arms are too long, Uh, uh, they won't go in.
1: It's like the saw puppet on his little tricycle.
2: Anderson said on the commentary that Fish loved that chair, so I think he sat down just because he really he liked it. He just enjoyed being seated.
1: The second one is uh, when I mentioned about The Shining moment with Jolie Richardson, Stark, Mm. she gets covered in blood, and then she just lands on the floor from a ladder. Yes. It's a vertical ladder. And it comes off like a goof. Yeah. And then, and, and I laughed. And again, I probably shouldn't have been laughing at that point. And then the third one is Lawrence Fishburne. They've been trying to do the filters for this video for the whole movie, like yeah. right? clean up this video so we can see what it is, what happened to the other crew. <laughs> now it's, sh- I don't know if they're playing it for a laugh, but the beat comes off comedic. Lawrence <laughs> looks at the video and, it's a bunch of people fucking and killing each other (laughs) and then he just says we're leaving
2: that that was the biggest laugh in the uh, test screenings apparently fish is phoning it in here i think he's he's like two years this is two years before he played morpheus and we all know he's a great actor but i there's not a lot on display from him here he's there's a lot of running around but he has a lot of presence and gravitas but uh it's not his finest hour as an actor they're not, they're not giving him anything it's almost like they're parachuting
3: him in to borrow his gravitas like, yes he is the captain is. of this
1: crew. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But he's not even um, a Dallas. He's, he's nowhere near a Dallas even. You know, it, it's, it, uh, but as, as him versus Tom Skerritt, I would probably choose Fish as an actor, but I don't know why, but it doesn't just, it doesn't quite come off. I think, uh,
3: uh Gally, as you've already mentioned that the, the, the script doesn't really do people a lot of favors at times that it's not consistently, but there are enough clangers throughout that kind mm. of, Um. So the the introduction, for example, you know, the the sitting around in the mess hall sequence, and we're we're giving everyone our little quick oh, like aliens, yeah. (laughs) We're giving everyone our little uh, our little moment, and there's just some stuff there that is very strange. Catherine is it Kathleen Quinlan? Kathleen
1: Quinlan. Mm -hmm. She's great. She's the she's the best one in the film, in my opinion. Absolutely. She's Um... she's hundred percent the best one. I feel her death the most, and the reason is is because she genuinely grounds that character. And I understand what drives her.
2: Yeah, we know we know about her, but we don't know about Jolie Richardson. So when she's sort of uh, uh, when that bloodbath happens, it doesn't mean anything because we we don't know her personal horrors that are returning to her. There is some stuff. If uh, that, that if you have a strong stomach, you can go on YouTube and watch the the hellscape stuff in slow motion. Someone slowed it right down. Some deviant. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you can watch it, and uh, you, you can see that she's actually strung up. Um, yeah. Some of that subliminal stuff, but I don't know anything about her backstory. And even to the point of the end where there's a, the little jump scare at the end after stasis, it doesn't mm. really mean much outside of just being a cheap jump scare because I don't know about her.
3: She's been very lightweight throughout and she seems visibly uncomfortable with all of the science bullshit that she has to say. For example, nobody has ever pronounced it Starsis. <laughs> <laughs>
2: she actually confessed that she didn't know what she was saying. Uh I, th- I think it was uh, Jason Isaacs in the the making of he gave this gem away. Uh and it when it was explained to her she said oh I don't care. So uh, <laughs> that is that is palpable, right?
1: Yeah in, in, it is in, in throughout. And and her character as well is just reduced to exposition and comes up with bullshit theories that we don't see her working out. She just kind of yeah, comes up with stuff. With she just pops up and says, <laughs> the, f- the, sh- the ship is responding to us. I don't know how. But <laughs> anyway. A bit on the
2: commentary where she's she's delivering a dialogue and they, they, it goes silent for a minute. They're just watching it. And then Anderson goes, I think we gave her the wrong peek on that cap. <laughs> 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 it's like even he's not paying attention to what's going on.
1: <laughs> to go back to Fish and to go back to some of those goofy moments, another one and this might just be a Sam Neilism because I think he is in a different movie, but it's the movie that I wanted the whole film to be yeah, yeah. his his first dream sequence, which when he's sucking in his gut because he is <laughs> Weston, um, there is again it's the editing it's, it's it's performance as well because clearly he's being directed to do this, but his uh, <laughs> again, what should be a response to a scary image of his wife with her eyes out? which should be like really disturbing and unsettling. Mm. I'm just laughing.
2: He went for the same sound as when he gets electrocuted in Jurassic Park.
1: And this is it. Like And Sam Neill, I, I didn't realize this until I looked at his filmography, but he was just omnipresent in the 90s. Like what a strong 9. He is really known as kind of like a bit of a cult actor, like a bit of a mm. B-movie actor. I he love dead, and calm.
2: Not, oh, uh, I yeah. dead Calm. I always love Dead Calm channel five special
1: absolutely absolutely and and in the 90s you know because spielberg was like well the dinosaurs are the stars so i don't really want any a-listers he becomes an a-lister because he's in jurassic park and then he's in this movie and 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 he is doing his b-movie schlock in this and i love it and that's what i want but the film is so uneven in the cast because lawrence as you said is it's kind of playing it straight and he doesn't seem like he's having a great deal of fun. And that and that does kind of come across in the movie.
3: I think you, you're right in that. That's that's a sense of like direction, It's a collection of actors, and you've got uh, Jason Isaacs is doing f- a, a, a good enough work for what he's given, I guess. Like he's brooding he starts off Irish, actually. though, doesn't he? D- he's got he an has, accent.
1: He's got an you're accent out. that he then drops. He definitely. He's drops an
2: Anderson it. favorite. He was in Soldier and Shopping, and apparently what? his voice was in Resident Evil, but I don't remember it. Um, and
3: I, I like uh, I like Sean Pertwee. Pan-fried haddock. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's just there to give like working class gritty gravitas, but it's-
2: Does he not feel a bit EastEnders to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, a little. But again, Matt, I wouldn't mind that if he actually had more to do. And actually I was watching his performance the second time I watched it. And he's got a crucifix tattoo on his- uh, on his back, at the top right. of his back.
3: And he's the one who's most reluctant to go on the ship, I guess. He's the most
1: reluctant to go on the ship. He calls out "We're about science and going too far. None mm. of that gets explored enough, in my opinion. I wonder if it's on the cutting room floor, because Anderson's mentioned about a longer cut that the studio forced him to reduce it down. But his character, when it, whenever he does anything, you see him um, do the sign of the cross. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. well, was he supposed to be the like the religious zealot who is supposed to kind of be the counterbalance to yeah, the where was it man like, man yeah. has gone too far. You've, you've taken it, you're going into the unnatural world that you do not understand. That is all good. Sci-fi sci-fi themes that have been, you know, trodden through sci-fi since the dawn of time. It's completely gone. And instead I'm just thinking about him saying with a red wine Jew and that's
2: it. <laughs> I've just put poorly developed. It was like, let's yeah. stick a beanie hat on this guy. That'll make him a bit different. And we'll put a cap make, on. A... Make him a bit wide boy. Yeah. It was like having uh, Nick Cotton on the on the spaceship. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't buy that at all, but I,
3: you know know, that is a good point that like the a lot of the actors just seem like no you wouldn't be on a space mission jolie richardson not knowing how to pronounce any words that she's saying and just being visibly confused uh this Mm. guy is like a space pilot he should be a fucking nerd Mm. like um, justin is about 12 (laughs) that was
1: the one that that was the one that i couldn't get on board with was jack nosworthy who again strong 90s uh loved him in barbed wire Always for Bob Wild. Oh,
3: yeah. Right. Blind brother. Um,
1: that's where but, I've seen him. Yeah, I, I, Idle Hands. I've seen him in loads of stuff. He, he then just kind of dropped off the plots, I think. It was just like, once the 90s were done, it was like, mm, you did that Bon Jovi video, didn't you? We're done with you. Um, oh, is he the always guy? He's the always guy, yeah? Oh, my God. That's where I know him from. But in this, he seems to have, like, been Paul Rudded. He's, he seems younger. And the worst yeah. thing is, he's the engineer. And when Weir is explaining... How the Event Horizon, the Gravity Drive works. Yeah, he doesn't. He's the one who's like they laugh at. He's the
3: engineer. I love that scene. <laughs> the like, uh, <laughs> a straight line. What a is straight they line.
1: The is straight yeah, laugh. and the, and the, what the rescue guy laughs at him because he knows more. Like he should have been the junior pilot or something or the junior whatever, the junior officer. Instead, he's the engineer, the chief engineer. That didn't make sense to me.
0: Imagine for a minute that this. Piece of paper. No, excuse me. Uh, That's Vanessa, and that's mine. A attractive piece of paper represents space-time, and you want to get from point A here Hmm. to point B there. Now, what's the shortest distance between two points? A straight line. (laughs) Wrong. Shortest distance between two points is zero, and that's what the gateway does. It folds... Space, so that point A and point B coexist in the same space and time. And the spacecraft passes through the gateway; space returns to normal. It's called a gravity drive.
1: I mentioned before, Matt, about it being uneven in its tone. That was the other laugh-out moment. So we've got this harrowing scene, which I think is actually probably one of the best scenes in the film. When he's in the, the bleeding uh, eyes, yeah, the bleeding eyes, and his veins, uh, his veins, veins are pulling yeah. out. All and good I'm like, effect. this is all all really good effects, all really disturbing and unnerving. And then when he gets shot out it, it plays like a silly little gag because he's like, yeah. his eyes are all <laughs> turned inwards. And,
3: and before yeah. you've got, um, Fishburne, uh, barreling down that thing, yelling, Justin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then he spears him, uh, like Edge <laughs> in the WWE through, th- th- through the, back <laughs> through the hole. So yeah, that, that whole thing was undermined.
3: The build up is, is great with, uh, with again, Kathleen Quinlan grounding the whole thing through the, through the window, trying to talk him down. And, and he's playing it quite well. You know, the kind of Completely blank expression and then but every stupid the, the the alarm going off is what wakes <laughs> him up
0: yeah. and
3: he's been doing really good work with you know that kind of i don't want to go back there thing and then they play in slow-mo is that right with
2: him just uh holding his ears and squealing yeah there's there's a lot of po- um post production slow mo where uh, they talk about it on the commentary where they use step frame like they print it twice to to every frame several times or whatever to get the slow motion juddery f- effect but that that scene like it shoots itself in the foot they're doing really well with the bleeding eyes and he's not in control of himself and uh I know we see a lot of the visions later but we don't know what Justin has has been through at that point so that's still in our imagination it's undermined by the by fish doing that whatever he's doing and then uh it it's it's uh dramatic but it doesn't en- entirely work mm.
3: uh, it's almost it. like it's shot as action not as horror
1: yes absolutely yeah. Devlin, you've hit the the nail on the head there and that was the problem and and because the action is so it's just about shot selection like his his face is really goofy when there's a when he's coming towards the camera before fish grabs him yeah and it kind of plays like dan Aykroyd in ghostbusters when he's getting a blowjob from a ghost (laughs) it's like his eyes are crossed (laughs) and it just that shouldn't be my go-to reference for that right
2: the one other saving grace is that that the heroic fish at that point he's trying to save justin in the same way that he's trying to redeem himself for not saving who will eventually become the burning man that we see later on on, on his previous mission so it does have drama underpinning it but it, i think it's execution isn't it it doesn't quite
1: yeah come off. It's, it's it's all of those sequences that i've mentioned that are doing good work good work and then there's a moment where i know you have to put it at anderson's feet where it just drops the ball it's either in the editing in the sound in the performance and unfortunately you know as the director you do have to take most of the responsibility because you are the one that is pulling all of these departments together and it just you know i keep going back to that you know we're leaving i was like that is just the wrong beat like you would not have that as the line after you've just seen the fucking sex orgy stuff it's just no it's the
3: same as the um the the first walkthrough when you know we're we're seeing the interior of the event horizon fully for the first time and it is you know it's uh, uh um they build it quite well, like the way they separate the characters off because it gives you a lot of choices to chop and change and move locations, so you've got, um but it's when Fishburne's got the, uh, the scanner, and then the glove hits him on the arm. Oh, and yeah, his jump scare oh, glove. Oh, fuck yeah. me! <laughs> <laughs> Again, you've, you've built up tension. And I know that that's the whole point of like, clearly he's, as a director, he's absorbed this thing of like, um, tension and release. This is how you get an audience to react. You build, 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 and then you give them something. But it's like, he wants it to be funny every time. And perhaps that's what made it land with teenagers
1: so well. It's kind of like fun and goofy. And I'm all for fun and goofy and slocky. You know, that is, that is my vibe. But mm. I guess when you're, trying to to do something very very different and i get this feels like his pitch to say you know what i am i made a mortal Kombat film that made lots of money but i'm a real filmmaker and unfortunately this just is this shows either not his limitations but his sensibilities are just wrong for this genre
2: scott wouldn't do it would it um cameron wouldn't do it uh Kubrick wouldn't do anything like that but and then we have uh, leading on from what you were saying about comic relief we have the Cooper character
1: even if it's in the script you would say you know what not right for the tone that I want to go for his worst moment is
2: here I come motherfuckers that one. Oh yeah. man
1: I mean that is a groaner and I understand that in the 90s this was a thing we talked about it in Halloween H2O how <laughs> you know you can have LL Cool J survive the horror and that be seen as somehow hollywood progress for african-american characters but fuck my life can you just give them better dialogue all right all right all right i gotta get back to the ship i gotta get back to the ship all right all right i gotta blow my air tank i'll blow my air tank
2: all right fuck oh this better work this better work all right all right
1: here i go
0: all right one two three come on come on come on yes 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 here i come motherfuckers!
3: and he's chuntering away to himself and again this has come after the biggest most dramatic thing you have just lost mm. the the escape vessel like the whole film does quite well with um mm-hmm. i get very on the nose but very ticking clock We've got 20 hours of air. We've got four yeah. hours of air. We've got 20 minutes to get out of here. Everything is always... You've just blown up your uh, rescue ship. Although uh, we can talk about how Sam Neill was on the event horizon, then on the Lewis and Clark, then leaving the <laughs> Lewis and Clark with nobody noticing. But that's just spatial geography is <laughs> fucked in yeah. this film. After a certain point, it loses it. But you've just blown up the the only chance that we as an audience think that they had to survive this. And we are with a guy
2: spinning through space, quipping to himself. We shouldn't be laughing at that point. It's not funny anyway. But we shouldn't. But the intention behind it should not even be there. And and it starts, and then it's over. It's a he. He's blasted off, and then he blasts himself back. Yeah, just don't have it happen. Just, just, just it's pointless. Uh, what what we get from Kathleen Quinlan, we don't get from them. We don't really get the backstory. We we see that she's left her child at home, and when. Uh, it's like, uh, it's a don't look now sequence, isn't it really? Gally, you mentioned that that, that was one of your, you know, highlights, but like the, the scene where she's chasing the kid. I mean, there's no dwarves or meat cleavers, but it's pretty much, uh, you know, there's a hooded child, a creepy, a creepy child and it ends in a bloody agonizing death. It's, it's quite brutal.
1: It's the sequence that I think Anderson, uh, from conception to design to execution, I think it's the one where he's the most successful.
2: And isn't it the most subtle too? Which is, I mean, her legs breaking and smashing and all, yeah. you know, gross at the end, maybe not, but the, the, the execution of the bit you're talking about is, is actually quite, um, subtle and uh, restrained and
1: it's not bad at all. It really is down to just performance and understanding her guilt is subtly delivered. You know, okay. She's watching a video. She says, you know, she's clearly the, the maternal, um, character within the group, you know, referring, uh, everyone refers to as mother bear and
0: mm.
1: okay that's all a bit on the nose but kathleen quinlan is doing stuff in the film in her scenes when she's talks about i won't go back to medical like she doesn't over egg it she just simply states it as a fact like i'll do oh you know i'll do it but i'm not going to go back to medical
3: i would say the um her vision in the in the medical is actually I, I thought that the the fall down the the shaft thing was was too it was like watching someone play kaplunk which is a which is a <laughs> shame again undercutting what you've done you've got the kaplunk bing bang, bing bang, and then the smash is, is for me it's a bit too much like
1: i it's, i was okay with it davlin i think i was okay with it because i genuinely had uh a for that character so therefore yeah. that, that that hurt in a way watching her body just like tumble down like a rag the, the legs
2: the legs break that's the thing and it's like a wet bloody mess you know
1: and, the, and there's a there's a, a couple of times where they cut to her face and the first time she doesn't have contact lenses in she's just got dead eyes oh no she's actually gasping for air the mm-hmm. second time she's got black contacts in that all works and actually it's a moment where you see sam neill almost come back to to life when he's like yeah inconsistent but it's inconsistent because the second because a second later he's like i am home and you're like well we've missed (laughs) something here like someone's someone's cut a big chunk of sam neill's performance out here because i can't believe he would go into that scene and be like peter's and then he'd be like
2: well i I like that scene because it was practically done the way the dummy you know falls and and the legs break and then you eventually see her that's all practical and it's it's great but i've written that was inconsistent too like sam neill's possession or whatever it is 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 a bit puzzling um you know, I didn't really understand why he was, he was, he was back and forth with it, but you, you his could be level right, of could be villainy
3: oscillates deleted. right throughout. Mm.
1: He's off kilter though. I'm going to, I'm going to give the, the film. He's battling it maybe. Who's, yeah. I'm going to yeah. give it a little bit of, a little bit of leeway only because, like I say, his introduction to us, he's already unstable. He takes pictures from one side and puts them to another. So we know immediately <laughs> he's not all together, but also Sam yeah. Neill inherently as a, as a, as an actor. There is a malevolence about him, just Mm. just generally, like in Jurassic Park. I'm not suggesting I ever think that he's about to turn evil.
3: (laughs) Don't ruin Alan Grant for us. It's true. He's not. Um. He he's not like a typical avuncular type that you might put in that kind of protector role. He's he's standoffish and Mm -hmm. and and yeah. Well, he he, doesn't like kids, does he? He
1: doesn't want to have children. He's perfect for a scientist, I think, because Mm. scientists deal with absolutes and they don't like to be challenged. When it comes down to uh, appealing to the soul so I don't know he can understand physics but he can't understand how to comprehend his own emotions and what he did to his wife and all of that stuff and and this leads on to one of the what I think is the strength of the film even though I don't think they, they execute it perfectly is this theme of of guilt and how it how it stays with you and how the ship somehow and this is could be a problem for some. I don't mind it. I like the vagueness and the abstractness of what the monster is and what the event horizon is. But I like that, and I think that the two-hander of Sam Neil's character and Fishburne works. Different sides of the same coin. Uh, and and Sam Neil gives in to the to the ship, and Lawrence like owns his own sins or mistakes. That works. Um, I don't know what you guys thought.
3: Kathleen Quinlan's, um, uh, guilt reveal of the hand scraping down the, the, what looks like a little tent. That was oh, yeah. my, that was my favorite sequence. I, I thought, again, more,
2: possible. it's more subtle, isn't it? Than it's than yeah. someone explodes and, and hit the they,
3: they shot it twice, right? One where like the legs were covered in maggots and stuff and they, and too they, much. Tested, they tested it. Yeah. It's, it's too much. So you wheel it back and it's, it's enough. It's enough to see the, the, the sores on the legs and it's, it's a horrifying image and. And it's played just as long as it needs to, Um, so I I I do like the um, I love the the basic concept the kind of the king in yellow or or some of the Lovecraft stuff you know the I've I've seen over the edge, and and you know you don't you don't need to show it what you need to show is the effects of it on people
1: even 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 as overt and as naked as as Anderson is like in that Quinlan death. She goes through a doorway that is shaped like a coffin. And t- now ordinarily I'd be like, oh, subtlety alert. But I didn't mind it because I think the the, the design of the event horizon is so otherworldly from anything that I've seen in space. And, and and the production design, though on the nose with the Notre Dame and the coffins and I didn't mind it. I guess it's because it's different and it's the one point of difference that Anderson brings to the film because everything else feels so familiar. The the
2: religious stuff, like in in spite of some of the imagery, like he tried to avoid using the word hell and like the idea that it's a religious hellscape. Uh, like the film doesn't feel religious at all. It feels broader than that, which is really nice. Like as, as someone who's an unbeliever, um, it taps into the same fear that religion feeds on and that's a really powerful psychological approach to horror and i don't think it's done enough like but whether it's explored and executed well enough is is questionable but the whole the whole thing there, like using religion in that way was uh was was very smart and uh, the idea of
3: um what the, the thing that i love the the most was as Samuel dr weir is kind of unraveling or giving himself over to the ship he has a um an altercation with lawrence fishburne in a in a corridor and he, he's pushing him to say where does it go what is this thing and i, like I don't that, know
0: like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's
3: that's one of the, the the great kind of um that's that's very lovecraftian i'm i'm harnessing things i don't understand this is from beyond you know or uh or even reanimator to an extent like meddling with things that you shouldn't be meddling with to your own ends and how this is always going to end in tragedy and chaos and I love that and I'm glad that they kept that in. I just, I just feel like, um, you need to be more ambiguous in a way. And the thing is ambiguity isn't going to get you a 40 million budget from Paramount Pictures and an FX budget and stuff. Like audiences aren't going to go along with you on a Friday night. If you're asking them to, to, to put 50% of the work in and to try and fill in these blanks. I think what you right. had is a, a concept that needed to be played extremely mysteriously. Art house and an execution, which is not just mainstream horror,
2: but shot and edited like an action film. But you mentioned there, like the the concept, and I think that's the largest strength of 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 the film. Like this underpinning concept to the horror of people abandoning others, leaving them, making mistakes that lead to the deaths of others. This thing that shows you fear, your fears and your secrets, and these are things that we can relate to um that's interesting and scary like the immoral or regretful things that you do can ultimately come back to haunt you and like they i guess it's a sin in a way but they don't really it's for want of a better word but and for want of a better word our visions of, of hell and things like that but it makes you wonder you know what your visions would be if if you were in that Situation: What would you see? And that—that's a way of involving the audience. But again, I think it comes down to clarity and execution of that good idea, rather than it just being—it's an underpinning concept. But does it ever really come come up in 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 an interesting way?
1: This film posits several theories, and none of them really track. So in the end, it kind of feels like a bunch of ideas. And the one thing that I did admire is that they didn't go down the fire and brimstone route for the visions of hell at least the visions of hell were crazy sex orgy stuff which feels like a commitment to something different you guys ever remember Ro- rocko's modern life <laughs> yeah there's a there's an episode where heather goes to hell and it is it, it, it's bill and ted <laughs> it's bill and ted's bogus yeah. journey it's the you know hell is a big big red dude who's got a big chain you're on a big smoldering mm-hmm. rock so to move hell from this kind of like core of the earth to space that's smart because the other good thing and the good of good trapping of this genre is you're on a spaceship you're immediately remove that element of well, why don't you just run out the house well you can't run out of the house because you'll you'll get all justined so you need to do yeah. something else so, mm-hmm. so all of that feels like the premise is strong but just somewhere along the lines, and perhaps it's all down to 12 month shooting, edited time that you just don't have enough time to like fully think through every single element. And I, I, I haven't read the script either, but if the dialogue's anything to go by, the script probably needed another couple of passes.
2: But there's another thing where if you're influenced by Kubrick in 2001 and The Shining, which he has cited, sometimes it can give you a license to cut corners because everyone wonders what those films mean. And like when you collide these influences and sort of compress them all into one thing, sometimes it works, sometimes it it doesn't, but I I would have preferred a slightly punchier ending. Like at the end of the shining, a a mystery is posed and there's a strong image and people are still talking about that today. And people still talk about 2001 and, and what the, the, the star child means. But there's there's really nothing here to underpin anything, and uh, it's it's borrowing from here and there, but it doesn't really um, come together in the same way.
3: I think um the the visions of hell that you were talking about, you have the two sequences. One is like the the blood orgy. This is what happens to the crew after they've seen what happens, and this is what it drives them to do to themselves. And then the second is the visions of hell that are shown to Lawrence Fishburne. And it's of the crew all wrapped in barbed wire and strung mm. up and you have Baby Bear yelling. What he, he yells Captain Miller, which is very <laughs> silly.
1: Yeah, it's his fear and it's his own personal hell yeah. to see the people that he's responsible for being tormented.
3: This was another poll from something where it's like, I've pulled in a visual from Hellraiser, but I've not understand, I've not understood the fundamental weirdness that is at the heart of Hellraiser. Hellraiser is like a specific thing which is about, um, uh, what would happen if somebody was such a libertine, such a a, a a glutton for pleasure, that pleasure and pain have no difference. And then what would people do to themselves and to each other? And there's a weird psychosexual like undercurrent to it, which makes it really disturbing, which is lost as the sequence, as the series went on because it's it what people want to do is they just want to shortcut to the crazy image and they want it to look crazy. But um this one fell down the same hole that, um, danny boyle's sunshine did as well which is you you start with a big concept about ineffability and what that does to people which is great and when you get to a third act it's also impossible to have a third act that's still about ineffability so you end up just narrowing it down to a same thing that prometheus did you narrow it down to one guy smacking another guy around and it Mm. just it just becomes there's a certain point in my notes where i was actually on the second watch i was actually kind of getting a lot more into this film and right here at the one hour 12 minute park i've written in all caps this film is now total cock because we have just (laughs) lost whatever was left of the vague that it was undercutting itself as it went along but there's a point at which the full shark jumping occurs and it's just silly, just silly, silly nonsense.
2: the, the, the fans attached to this film are chasing that elusive idea of, uh, the, the real cut of this, the gruesome one that got trimmed back. And from what you're saying, I would I'd agree, like, be careful what you wish for, because it could be a case that, that what we got, it kind of empowers that, uh, that stuff if we'd seen more of it who knows if it would have worked as well who knows if it would have become a a cult classic or or whatever it has become
1: the comparisons with paul ws anderson and say zach schneider i think are quite apt not Mm -hmm. necessarily as far as their the quality of their rouvre or them as filmmakers but just generally the narrative that surrounds them and and the narrative that surrounds the one film that they might make that everyone Who's ever seen any of their films will go, ah, but that's the one. So with Zack Snyder, they, you know, the thing I always see online in blogs, in written pieces, in magazines, it's always like, yeah, but have you seen his dawn of the dead? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. (laughs) It's fine. I mean, it's absolutely (laughs) fine. It is not, it's not going to revolutionize my, my theory on cinema. It's, it's a perfectly good update of a film that probably didn't need it. But as a zombie movie, it's absolutely fine. And I think with Paul W. S. Anderson, because he's gone on, I totally agree with what you said earlier, Devlin, I think he's very commercially savvy, to the point where he never took this risk again. Because I think he, he then thought, you know what, I'm going to stay with what I have now already, in my early part of my career, renowned for, which is I can turn gaming IP into movie blockbusters. And that is where he stayed. Now, whether or not he could have become a better filmmaker if he'd done more interesting choices, maybe he could have been. He wouldn't have been given the money, though. And that is that, I think, is where he's kind of decided, I'm going to just do this thing. Because clearly, even though I've seen some of those Resident Evil movies and they are absolutely god-awful, but there is a fan base for it. But any time you see any fans of his, they'll go, ah, but have you seen Event Horizon? I'm like, yeah, I now have, and I think there was an idea. There's a filmmaker somewhere there, but he's limited, I think, and I don't know. You know, be careful what you wish for, as you say, Matt, because I think his three-hour cut of Event Horizon probably still leave you with more questions than answers.
3: I think it, I think it works better as it is chopped down. It it, it has a fundamental silliness at its at its weird, spiky, spinning core, and that fundamental <laughs> silliness. <laughs> <laughs> would would not be overcome by seeing more of this there are certain films where if you want to relax into the mystery then you can but the fucking dialogue being this stupid just means that i'm going to listen to people talk like morons for longer and i think uh, cut down to a 90 minute thing i think that's why it worked for the audience mm. it worked for because it is snappy and it's like a little like a my first weirdo horror right? Like it's a, it's a safe way of getting, you don't have to, it's not like seeing a Hellraiser, where it's like, I'm going to feel some weird feelings when I watch this one uh, or an alien, which is like, it's a slow moving dread. You have to really give yourself over to the dread of it. You don't have to give yourself over to this film. You just watch it. Yeah,
1: the the film is hinged on uh, a translation gone horribly wrong. And in that, in that sense, it's inherently a bit silly, you know. Oh, the um, liberating Yeah, exactly. We see Jason Isaacs listen mm-hmm. to the tape, and at that point, they've had the message. For and this is me not nitpicking.
3: <laughs> no, no, but I it think kind this of, is fair. but it kind of is a nitpick. This is fair. Like
1: if you send somebody on a mission and a distress signal has been sent, this isn't Alien where they're doing it on the fly. They've received the message, they're already on the way. They're still trying to work it out, but they have yeah. a rough idea. This is a
3: planned mission.
1: This is a planned mission, 56 days, da 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 da. So to, to have Jason Isaacs be the only man in the universe who is okay at Latin, cause he's not great, cause he clearly mistranslated yeah. the first time around. That, that seems inherently stupid.
2: It is alien though, isn't it? Because he's trying to, to be Ridley Scott again. He's trying to do the alien thing because the, the alien distress signal turns out to be a warning it turns out to yes. be something else so the translation is wrong it turns out to be something else it's just a steal yeah. and a twist again everything is just being implanted from from other <laughs> places isn't it? Uh, yes. well, yeah and, and also jason
3: isaacs not only so he listens to this thing on, on on the deck of a ship and he immediately knows it's latin and none of the other scientists and and so you know you think okay Maybe there's not that many Latin speakers, although it's weird that this random doctor on a ship is <laughs> the fucking captain in the captain's log before the blood orgy. The, the, the bit where he's like, we're going to have a great mission. Shout out to my best mates over there. This guy's cool. <laughs> the fucking captain speaks Latin before the transmission cuts he says like what is it you know to the?" and he translates it he's
1: like uh this is this is for all my friends so so i can't remember what he
3: says (laughs) so the fuck so okay the two people who can speak latin in the universe jason isaacs and the former captain of the event horizon it's it's that kind of it's it's too dumb to overcome unfortunately
0: it's the final entry in the ship's log i want to say how proud i am of my crew i'd like to name my station heads Chris Chambers, Janice Rubin, Ben Fender, Dick Smith. We've reached safe distance. This is John Kilpack, ship's captain. And are preparing to engage the gravity drive and open the gateway to Proxima Centauri. Ave, adque vale. Hail and farewell. What is that? I'll run it through a few filters, see if I can clean it.
1: The up. irony is that when uh, when I was doing my post production sound mix at Pinewood, just uh, humble brag here uh, mm-hmm. for my my film Dark Morning, that's uh, spelt with M O U R N. Double meaning, yep. <laughs> double meaning. Um, they were they were it's actually because he's on, sad. It's because right. he's morning, <laughs> and it's and it's set in the morning as well. Jesus, what was I thinking? Um, anyway. Um, they were shooting Sunshine at the Bond stage. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of a, a deep cut reference to the fact that Sunshine and Event Horizon do have some, um, some parallels that run through. And the other thing as well that this film, it, cause we talked about the fan base and I, it feels like this, this film's had like several resurgence in time and I was tracking it. And the first one that I could remember was a game called Dead Space, which I think Heavily, heavily took a lot of its production design from Event Horizon, the kind of the gothic sci-fi horror. Um, it's a bit of a, like a survival game, horror space game. Uh, I remember playing it years and years ago. And I think that then got people thinking, hmm, Event Horizon is being quoted as a, as a potential influence. And then the other one was just randomly Interstellar, which has obviously got the same explanation of a black hole because i remember when interstellar came out i was like no way christopher nolan is ripping off poor (laughs) ws
2: that's one of my favorite scenes you know like the the, the sam Neil folding a porno mag in half and sticking a pen through it and anytime you can use a semi-naked girl to explain what a black hole is (laughs) in space travel um, you know they should have done that at school, and I might not have failed my science so hard, I guess, like you were saying uh
3: exposition via a uh, semi naked magazine woman is kind of to me is 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 i get why people have a lot of affection for this film. I get why it 's got a cult. I think if you were around at the time, none of us had uh, developed an attachment to it at the right age i think that 's the fundamentally the problem that we have is that we're kind of we're picking apart a film which which has genuinely multiple problems in execution and in not understanding it's it's kind of not understanding its mission statement well enough but this is all stuff that if i was 14 15 i would have loved because it's not dragging me too far into the concept it's keeping things quite understandable it's moving along quickly it ends in a way that i can understand okay so he just smacks him around with a big pole and then blows him up
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it really is and even even the even the idea of those bombs yeah like from a from a design from a design oh, yeah, just, perspective yeah. like that yeah. just seems so billy bonkers that you could have these actual bombs in the in the corridor of the ship that also yeah. can be removed separately for little yeah. portable bombs. Yeah, like it's wily
2: coyote shit. It's
1: it, like, yeah, it, 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 the way he's <laughs> running around
2: as well, like Sam Neill is going back and forth, and no one sort of knows where he is at that point, <laughs> yeah. which, which ship he's on. It's like a little yep. prankster, yeah.
1: <laughs> and 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 like there's lot, there's just lots of stuff that um you know we're pulling apart and and we're having a bit of a giggle and hopefully you know, listener request, Tom, this is not at your expense, because one of the things that I will say is I found this film to be remarkably watchable. To the right. point where I've watched it twice in as many days, and I could quite happily and I would be happy to just sit and take another ninety minutes of this kind of schlock. But I guess the the where I bump up is that having now seen the behind the scenes stuff and then also seen subreddits who are huge fans of this, and gone through Letterboxd, which I did, to have a look at, like, in the last three years, people that have seen Event Horizon, and they're all championing it as if it's this, like, we've been sleeping on this film. I don't know what they're watching. Like, this is, where it is, is where it should live, which is a very fun, schlocky, sci-fi movie that's got probably aspirations above the, the filmmakers themselves
2: you've touched on one of my nitpicks there I, I could tell that the sounds had been added in post and of oh, course God, I, yeah. I i know that a lot uh, every film is made this way you know with foley and but mm-hmm. when you can tell it really pulls you out uh that the act what the actors are hearing in on on set on the sound stage is not what we're hearing at the end and it and it becomes blatant it's full Looney tunes
3: at a certain point is after i wrote this film has become uh, a cock is where the (laughs) fight with the with his eyes out and he's got the weird like gun thing and he shoots cooper through the window and when all these pieces of metal start zinging and popping and zooping across the screen and like ricocheting off things it's like this is stock sound effect somebody has got a soundboard and they are just pressing buttons yeah! the uh the the cable whipping around with the steam and the smoke and the light backlit steam and really reminded me of the um the very end of alien when she's flushing the alien and and his yeah. tail is is whipping while she's like it's it's, right. it's it's all it's all fra- he's
1: he's seen a lot of things and that's unfortunately good. that we've really? already
2: seen too
1: <laughs> yeah unfortunately like we haven't even mentioned adrian biddle Director of photography on aliens. He's a, 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 a phenomenal director of photography. Just look at his filmography. The man can light. So there's some beautiful imagery in this. I, I love the, um, the meat grinder tunnel. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean anything. And it's a, and yeah. again, kind of like pseudoscience. Oh, it's to stop the magnetic force from blah, blah, blah.
2: It was uh, inspired by the ride at Universal Studios that Paul Anderson went on he went on yeah. a ride <laughs> in a theme park he said oh i want something like that but uh i, I like the um you mentioned the gravity a- drive the gravity drive's great again it's a rip off from alien it's the it's the big room from alien yeah. again but uh, it's done practically and it's great and the other thing i like about biddle's stuff was the um oh there's two things there's, there's one he uses these lightning boxes they're called he used them a lot on aliens and uh it kind of lights in this kind of quite evocative way and then mm. there's another scene where uh they go sam Neil crawls into a green circuit board oh jeez. yeah that's that's it's made from old silly. it's a very very com- silly set <laughs> <laughs> <we could> just- <laughs> it it's, it's made from old computer circuit boards apparently but i i like the way that the the lights go out and then come back on and we're expecting to see something in the background again it's it's dallas and alien but you know, it's, uh, you know, he's stealing from the best. It doesn't quite come off, but he's trying. Yeah, he has to crawl through circuit
3: boards to find a circuit board. And then there's a tiny spark on it. And so he yeah. just
2: taps it with a <laughs>
3: One stick. One
1: broken fuse
2: can fuck up your spaceship. That's it.
1: Right. Shall we do it? Final thoughts, recommendations? I'll start with you, Matt. Uh On first viewing, I quite harshly jotted
2: down that I, I wouldn't put this in the same breath as some of the films it's influenced by. Uh. It's an unusual and interesting watch, I think, because it's such a peculiar occurrence. It's not a film that I think means much. Uh, it's reaching for something that it never really had a chance of grasping. And it's a shining wannabe on some level. And he kind of fails to live up to the films that he's aping. So it ends up like a poor man's alien or aliens. But it happened again. The second screening softening syndrome, I've coined it. Um... <laughs> The, the one one thing I had going for it the, the whole time, I couldn't predict where it was going. Like I And that's quite rare in itself. I knew something was going to explode. I knew there was going to be a countdown, an initiation sequence, alien ripoff, and that did happen. But I didn't, outside of that, I wasn't too sure where it was going. Uh, so the incoherence is also its friend because it, we're left to fill in some blanks of the mystery. Um, it seems grounded in some kind of science and in quantum physics, but I don't think it is. It's like the illusion of grounding, but that works for me because I don't, I'm not particularly good with science and, and science in all of its wonderful forms just baffles me. So I'm just a fool really. So I can go along with it. Uh, I do think there's a lot of interesting conceptual stuff, but it's not articulated quite right. It's not a coherent piece. It's still in pieces. And I think we can blame the rushed, production schedule for it it felt a bit like a joke that was told in a convoluted way like you know when someone meanders and Mm that they they don't quite set up the premise of the joke so when the punchline comes it doesn't really make any sense and it's not very funny um i think in sci-fi and films in general particular the really uh, high concept far-fetched stuff you need something an audience can relate to and i i always go back to like a singular protagonist i think If you can do that through one character, um, you know, if you look at Aliens, you know, it's it's a mother's regret and grief for her daughter. And then the eventual redemption, saving and protecting the surrogate daughter, that's the underpinning of that story. It's not really about aliens running around. Um, So I think this should be focused more on the lead character, whether you go with Weir or Miller. And I always preferred Weir. I think he's more interesting to me. Uh, there's a lot about it that works, the idea of it capturing our fears and the people that we miss, the people that we've hurt. It's a really haunting concept. And to set it aboard a, a spaceship somewhere behind Neptune or wherever it is, that just enhances the the pathos and the, the loneliness of it. And that bought a lot of time with me that I've stuck with it because of that. So uh, one good quote from Anderson was, um, if it's all tied up in a bow, then there's nothing to talk about. So he's going that's for the mystery.
1: One way <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: going with the mystery of The Shining. I, th- I think he's got lofty ideas, and the the, the mystery of two thousand one. And he thinks he's Kubrick, and you know, aspiring to be. And of course, no one is, but you know, um, it goes all in with the sci fi horror elements, uh, which I liked. It's not afraid to have nudity and gore, which in this genre is is an underused thing. It's quite rare. Um, so, uh, it's a cautious recommend, uh, the, the caveat would be, it, it, it could have been so much more in its goriest, it, it goriest, purest version, whatever it would have been. And we, we may have had a, a Paul W.S. Anderson masterpiece, but we'll, I, I don't think we'll ever know. I do still think it's his best film. I haven't seen them all, but, um, it'll probably remain his, his best one. It's, it's a rare treat in many ways. So I I feel like I've been overly, Overly negative, but I did enjoy it, particularly on the second viewing. I got frustrated on the first viewing and, uh, softened on the second. So I'll, I'll thank Tom Baduri, uh, for the listener request. It was a really interesting revisit for me. I will, uh, I hope we've, we've tackled it, uh, and we haven't been too negative for you, Tom. I'll pass over to Devlin next.
3: Um, I have uh very little to add because that's pretty much where I ended up with this. I watched it uh for the first time on a Tuesday night and I settled into it and I was annoyed by a lot of it. Um I was spotting too many um just surface level mistakes, like mistakes within filmmaking. Just poor execution, sloppy execution and I was getting a bit annoyed by it. And I wrote up some notes and they were very, very negative. And I thought, I I need to watch this again. You can't just watch a thing once and dismiss it. And the second watch, I really relaxed into it a lot more, and I understand where the cult comes from. The idea of like consensus is a dead concept. It's it's a myth. There there nothing's under or overrated anymore because everyone's opinions are so diffuse. This did receive a critical beating, but it's uh um it's going to be beloved by the audiences beloved by, because I think certainly when I was a kid, it was spoken in like these hushed tones. It was a film that you should have seen. And it's a, it's a strange thing that I didn't at the time because they were excited about it. But like it was for budding gore hounds and thrill-seeking teens and possibly even pre-teens and an audience for whom coherent tone, depth, narrative execution aren't generally qualities that they're going to tend to prize. The goofiness bouncing up against grotesquerie bouncing up against a uh, uh, heart-rending drama bouncing up against ridiculous ridiculous dialogue works for kids you know there's occasional forays into borderline cartoon slapstick violence and these really really broad brushstroke storytelling it's tailor-made for uh for a young audience and if you were developing but I didn't spend enough time with it. So I don't have a personal affection with it. I didn't absorb the scenes that are really good. And I didn't learn to love the scenes that are really bad. Uh, There's plenty of worse films than this that I love deeply. So I totally understand the cult. It's just, that I'm not in it. And uh, as a a non-initiated person, I don't think if you miss the boat, I don't think you're going to have an amazing time catching up on this one. If you were, in the in on on the on the boat on the ship um back in the day and you want to revisit it i would imagine you'll have a crack in time It's the sort of thing that would play amazingly well at like a prince charles rep screening people can howl along to the bad lines and they can cheer along with the good bits like for a film that should have been deep and meaningful and mysterious and possibly something quite special what it actually is is kind of a, a bit of a laugh and that's fine <laughs> Um So yeah, what do you think, Ali? Oh,
1: I'm just absolutely devastated because I was literally like, well, Matt's taken everything. You've <laughs> taken everything. I was like, <laughs> the sorry, one anyway. thing no one has said is that I believe that this film is absolutely perfect for a collective watch. And you've just taken that away from me too. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to keep it super, super brief. Um I think this, is, this qualifies as a guilty pleasure. This is a guilty pleasure movie. I think for those of you that love it, don't feel guilty because it has to be the schlock that you're that you're loving if you find this deep and 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 it reaches into your soul maybe watch more films i but (laughs) but as far as a a kind of yeah a kind of beer and pizza movie with a group of people i i was laughing on my own Watching this, which in itself means I'm a weirdo, but it (laughs) also means the movie was working for me, but maybe not the way that the filmmakers intended. And that therein lies the review. So I think Event Horizon, I will recommend it for those of you that want to go there, see what's on the other side. (laughs) But if you are, if you are, if you listen to our show, trying to find a genuine recommendation for like you and your partner or you know, you and your, you and your mates and you, you, cause you want to have a really big, deep discussion afterwards. Probably not Event Horizon, but for anyone else who just wants like 90 minutes of a night to be thrown into like obscure, watchable fun, Event Horizons, the one <laughs> I think I had a really good time with it, but mm. despite all of the negativity and in a way the negativity then became quite charming. I was kind of like finding. Sam Neil to be utterly charming in his pants yeah. and, and like, and just watching, uh, Stark kind of just flail around with, I think the ship is reacting to us. Like, <laughs> you've no idea what you're saying. And I know that because I've, like, I can see it. The only bit that I found t- truly egregious was the Cooper character. And it was partly because I just thought, oh, this is just a time capsule. We say it all the time, but this is the reason why media matters because this stuff is just like gross so apart from that leaving a slight sour taste event horizon recommendation for me but not in any way uh a kind of representation of my own personal taste (laughs) 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 so um guys where can our listeners uh get event horizon tomorrow night because they're clearly going to go for it
2: in in england uh sky has it uh, Sky Cinema and uh, Richard Branson over it with with his uh, uh, Virgin Media you can stream it there and buy it in the usual places and if you're in America Direct TV, HBO Max and Max Go uh, is another one uh, you can find it but I would recommend the uh shout factory or scream factory blu-ray that's currently available it's a collector's edition it's got a lot of the stuff we discussed the feature length documentary deleted scenes and a lot of uh ws anderson stuff if you fancy it
1: Mm, yeah i think i think it's quite an interesting making of some of them can be super like circle jerks but this one actually it's was not exactly insightful. warts and
2: all is it it's not quite alien- no, Again, it- the making of doesn't quite live up to the making of aliens and but uh it's you know it's something
1: but it's always fun though when you're watching the making of to count how many random glasses of wine that aren't being drunk are just <laughs> yes placed on the table in front of the people that are being interviewed so there you go okay cool um, i will say this matt also available in scotland and wales and ireland uh in uh, did Richard I say Branson England? Well. You oh, did, dear. you did. It's okay. Oh, I'm an
2: expat. I, I, am you know, I, my mind has been warped. I can no you longer have. relate to the, to my, I'm like Robin of Luxley in many ways.
1: You are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just a little, little walk across Edinburgh Castle and you, you, you'll be not in Nottingham in <laughs> yeah. no time. Um, <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so listeners, uh, going forward, we are entering the season to be Christmassy. So if you want to do your homework now, in preparation, we are going to be doing Die Hard next. Yes, Ooh. you heard me right, the original Die Hard. Uh, and then we're doing National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, Sam Neill memoirs of Invisible Man, <laughs> okay. starring Chevy Chase. So there you go. So they are, they are our Christmas picks for this year. Obviously, there's many Christmases to come, so if Jingle all the way was on your list, maybe next year one of these um, days so we look, we look <laughs> forward to that, uh Devlin, please tell the listeners about our merch
3: uh well uh the usual please go to rewindmoviecast.com that's where we have our blog there's a whole bunch of stuff there as ever there's also rewindmoviecast.com slash shop which will take you to our t-mail store because christmas is coming up and maybe you might want to buy a t-shirt with the name of our podcast on it or you might want to buy some t-shirts that we've made of other things there's all sorts of stuff uh there's some posters uh uh, who knows? maybe I'll sell the sketch of Sam Neil with his eyes done out. I don't know if anyone wants it. Let me know You should let me know i'll I'll send it to you
1: i was gonna I was gonna say that um, I feel like uh I got a little bit of blowback for the old Funko pop dig um so <laughs> i'm sure I'm sure there's a Funko pop.
3: you're gonna have to smooth this over by making an eyes out Funko aren't you?
1: Well, I'd like to think that they've got a weird beast Funko pop of Sam Neil all <laughs> naked with his eyes out and stuff. And if they haven't, then that's the problem. That's why I was having a go at them. I simply want them to be better. So there we go. Uh, (laughs) um, Also, listeners, if you're a big fan of the show, you can see that we do listener requests. Can I just apologize to Davy Growls, who probably our first listener request that came in for Paranormal Activity. We will do it. It's on the we're gonna, list. It's on the list. I really want to watch we're, that one. We're going to do it probably in January to kind of get us out of the festive period and into the, you know, let's be depressing again. No one of us got any money. Let's watch Paranormal Activity phase. So we'll look to do it then. But if you are a big fan of the show, please like, subscribe, write us a review. Just spread the gospel brings more people to the show um and we're all about community despite the fact that every time we do a show i have another go at some <laughs> part of the community so i apologize for that <laughs> i am literally just you know on I'm, I'm on gas that's what it is i'm cooking on gas and when i cook on gas people get burned <laughs> so <there> we, go. <laughs> we will uh, we'll say our goodbyes then chaps I, i've got to say thank you very much tom um, really did enjoy going back to Event Horizon, and and now I think it might make my little Halloween rotation. Like I think I could watch this as a fun mm-hmm. way of getting into the season of Halloween. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for your listener requests. Keep bringing them in. Um, we've got loads on there. Some better than others, I will say that. Um, but there we go. Uh, <laughs> there you've done it again. AD i'm doing it again listener
3: please send in a listener request unless it's shit
1: <laughs> someone put a pin in me uh, anyway right uh we'll say our goodbyes team um, all i'll say is
0: <laughs>
1: it's galley in glasgow
2: signing out oh my god it's the funky shit it's Devlin in london where we're going we won't
1: need eyes to see
2: it's Matt in South Korea.
1: Thanks very much for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewire Movie Podcast.